On Christmas Eve, many years ago, I lay quietly in my bed. I did not rustle the sheets. I breathed slowly and silently. I was listening for a sound I was afraid I'd never hear. The ringing bells of Santa's sleigh. to get to everyone's house in one night. So? And to hold everyone's presents, his sled would have to be bigger than an ocean liner. Well, your brother said that? Well, he was just kidding you. He knows there's a Santa. He said he wasn't sure. He wasn't sure Santa was for real. Of course Santa's for real. He's as real as Christmas itself. But he won't come until you're sound asleep, young lady. <laughs> Sweet dreams. Santa will be here before you know it. So go to sleep. I want to welcome you, uh, all of you, to our Christmas Eve. I want to welcome you all to our Christmas Sunday service this morning. Uh, if you're new with us this morning, we're a church who wants to be a family, and you are welcome to join it. So I want you to just kind of sit back and relax and enjoy a trip into this book that we see as highly valuable. We're just two days of Christmas away from Christmas. I mean, can you imagine that? 
It's almost honest. Listen, guys, I just want to talk to you for just a second because we are only two days away. You got lots of time to shop still. Lots of time, man. No problem. Take it easy. <laughs> well, we're actually, we're wrapping up this series called Christmas at the Movie, and we're diving into the movie The Polar Express. What you just saw in the opening scene of the movie is where we're introduced to the main character, this young boy who is entering adolescence, and he's just dripping with skepticism about everything he thought he believed about Christmas. What is real? And just to assure himself as he goes to bed on Christmas Eve that his skepticism is uh, justified, he pulls out his encyclopedia, and he's reminded that the North Pole is a place devoid of life. And of course, his cynicism, it's directed towards his belief in Santa. And I think as you watch this movie as a whole, you can think that that is all the movie is about. But I want to assure you, it's not. As a matter of fact, the more I dug into it, there are so many biblical parallels in this movie running all throughout it. As a matter of fact, Robert Zemeckis, the director, when he was asked about all of the biblical parallels, he just winked at the person asking him, and he said this, nothing in a movie this big ends up there by accident. So what I want to do is pull out some of the biblical principles from this movie. Now, uh, what I want you to know right up front is this. The central theme of the Polar Express is belief. Now, think of this word belief. This movie really dives into not just what causes people to believe, but also what hinders us from believing in someone or something. So that's really what I'd like us to talk about today. And let me ask you, have you ever questioned your beliefs in God? Is he real or is he good? Does he even care about you or is he just out there somewhere in the distance? I was thinking about this personally this week and I think there's two times in my life where I've questioned my beliefs in either God or about God. The first one came when I entered high school. There's just something about being a full-fledged teenager that causes you to question all sorts of things. Yet, as teenagers, we know everything, right? How many of you are parenting a teenager? Yeah, you know, right? Don't elbow them right now. You're okay. The second time was when I began uh, questioning my faith in my favorite baseball team, the Atlanta Braves, who from 1981 through 1990 were the doormat of the National League. I thought they would forever be terrible until finally in 1991, our faith was finally rewarded by a trip to the World Series where we promptly lost in seven games to the Minnesota Twins. That really was not my second time. The second time when I questioned things about God was when after a few years in ministry, it dawned on me that there was some fellow pastors who didn't have much of a relationship with Jesus, or at least I couldn't see it play out. And I had this sort of season of questioning if this Christianity thing really worked the way I'd believed or even taught others. What about you? What about your story when it comes to belief? Some of you, your story of doubt is playing out right now. And I just want you to know that this idea of belief is so relevant this time of year, around Christmas. And here's why. I think for so many of us these days, we have an issue. We don't believe in Christmas anymore. What are you talking about, Tom? We believe in Christmas. We believe in a lot of things about Christmas. We believe in Christmas Day. We believe in Christmas cards. We believe in Christmas gifts. We believe in Christmas parties. We believe in Christmas lights. There's some of you out there that even believe in Christmas eggnog, you weirdos. But do we still believe in Christmas? 
the first six letters of that word, what it's all meant to be about, that there was a God, a God who so loved you, so loved the world, and he so loved you and knew you by name, and because he loved you so much, do you know what he did? He gave his one and only son. That's the story of Christmas, that God came down and became one of us. And because of that, whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That verse is the message of Christmas. And the question before us is, do we still believe in that? Because I think we live in a culture that is really so skeptical. Our culture's belief is increasingly skeptical about God. I mean, what's caused so many people to question their beliefs in so many ways? I mean, this message is being permeated throughout our culture. Can I just show you one? A couple Christmases ago, there was an actual billboard that went up in U.S. cities by the American Atheist Association. A little girl writing a note to Santa saying, Dear Santa, all I want for Christmas is to skip church. I'm too old for fairy tales. Is Jesus a fairy tale now? Is Christmas a fairy tale? For a lot of people nowadays, he is. The latest Barna Research Group says this, 92% of people say that Jesus was an actual person who lived on earth, but only 70, or 52 believe that God is, uh, Jesus is God's son, the message of Christmas. And for millennials, it goes down to 48%. What's causing this? And what can we do about it? Well, if you've ever never seen this movie before, what happens right after this scene where the boy who's so full of skepticism about what's real is this train pulls up to his house, and he has a choice, get on or don't get on. Now, this whole train's purpose is for people who don't believe to go on a journey to see if they might believe or not in whatever doubt is in front of them. So he gets on the train, and he has a decision to make. So what I thought I'd do today is just look at two of the characters in the movie and why they didn't believe, because I think they're actually great representations of why so many people today don't believe in God or in things about God. So if you're taking notes, I want you to look at two enemies of belief. The first one comes from the main character, this boy full of skepticism. What was his issue? Well, primarily... He can't really intellectually make sense of Santa, can he? So I want to show you a scene because I think it speaks to a deeper issue of why he's having trouble intellectually believing. The boy meets this man on top of the train, who we later find out is a ghost. Let's take a look at this scene. What about uh, Santa? Santa? Isn't he the king of the North Pole? You mean, you mean this guy? <laughs> what exactly is is your persuasion on the big man since you brought him up? Well, I I want to believe. But But you don't want to be bamboozled. You don't want to be let down to Primrose Bear. You don't want to be caught or duped. Have the wall pulled over your eyes. Hoodwinked. You don't want to be taken for a ride. Railroaded. Seeing is believing. Am I right? 
love how he poses that question. Seeing is believing, right? I mean, how could you believe in something you can't see? That's crazy. And he doesn't want to be conned or duped. You wouldn't either. And I think this is really an issue for so many people today. We might say it this way. Faith might make you look foolish. Can I just tell you that that's the issue for so many men today who don't trust Jesus? Now, I'm not suggesting that it's not an issue for many women as well. But with men, one of the biggest issues is pride. We don't want to look foolish. That's why we refuse to ask for directions, right? I mean, thank the Lord for the GPS. It saved us there. We don't want to look dumb. So let's look at the description in Scripture of what's required to believe or required for faith. This comes from Hebrew chapter 11, verse 1. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Wait a second. What we don't see? Uh, I'm going to show you uh, one more scene. Because throughout the film, the boy and a young girl have this conversation with the conductor of the train. And he says something about believing in something you can't see. Take a look at this. I love that quote he says at the end when he says, sometimes the most real things in the world are things we can't see. But I know a lot of people out there, they're like, no, 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 no. I've got to see God or I've got to have physical proof before I ever believe. Can I just ask you something? Are you putting a requirement on God that you don't require in other areas of your life? I mean, I've never met somebody who says, I can't see the cell phone signal or the Wi-Fi signal on my phone. This thing's a piece of junk. I'm not going to use it anymore. Uh, no, how do you know it's real? It's quite simple. You see the effects of it in your life or in other people's life. Every time you press send, it works, but you can't see it. Did you know that the same principle applies with God? You either see God's work in your life or you see God's work in someone else's life. And belief always requires a step of faith. You may not realize it, but every time you press talk, it's like a mini act of faith because you don't see what's happening, nor do you understand it, or very few of us. Like 99% of us have no idea how this cell phone thing works. Sometimes you really just need to step out in faith before you'll really see God's work in your life. Did you know Jesus actually speaks about this? It's in the book of John, chapter 7, verse 17. Anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. 
In other words, you want to understand if I'm really who I say I am or whether I'm just some lunatic or liar, you got to step out in faith. You know, when you dig into Hebrews chapter 11, which is such a great chapter on faith, verse 6 later on says this, And without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. I love this quote from Martin Luther King Jr. He says this about faith. Faith is taking the first step even when you don't see the whole staircase. But I know there's still some people, and maybe some of you here today, you still have all these intellectual questions that you've got to get answered before God can become real to you. And I just want to tell you that that's a great journey. Stay on it. Seek your answers. Keep asking questions. I'd love to sit down and talk with you. But know this. At some point in time, you will have to take a step of faith in order for the realness of God to be understood. Even if today I answered every single intellectual question you might have about God, I'm not sure I'm capable of it. But even if I did, that's not what takes somebody to a place where they now believe. People rarely come to believe because you removed all the obstacles. They come to believe because their obstacles shrunk and they decided to take a step of faith. We often even bring obstacles into faith with us, and we let God reveal himself and answer our questions along the way. Can I just give you an example about how this plays out like in real life? Uh, those of you who are married or you're engaged, do you remember before you got married the list of objections you had to getting married? Uh, now, not all of you had this, but in my profession, I get to see firsthand the objections people have pre-marriage. I mean, before you'd walk up and somebody would ask you, why aren't you married? And you'd say, well, because, because, because. Look here at this list of pre-married objections people have sometimes. Freedom, right? I'm going to lose my freedom. I'm too young to get married. Financial, I, I, I've got to be more prepared. Uh, have you seen other people that are married and the way they act? And, um, and then finally one, uh, we don't like to say this out loud, but what if, I, what if I meet someone else after I'm married? What do I do then? Equally, like you married couples walk through a list before you decided to have kids. Now, here's my question. How many of you honestly worked through your whole list of objections before you decided to step out in faith and get married or have kids? Can I just answer that question for you? <laughs> none of you, like none of us do that. I, you might be the one exception out there, but you're an extreme rarity. But I, can I just tell you, I've never met a man who said, Tom, this is my Excel spreadsheet. I have uh, it statistically worked out. Uh, check, uh, check, uh, check. Uh, oh, I've saved and I've saved and I've saved and I have enough money to have a kid now. I'm 62, but I am ready. That, that has never happened. No, our objections shrunk when we launched out in our first step of faith. Like, what caused that? It was love, right? What shrunk your obstacle is that you experienced someone in a real way. You experienced their love for you. You fell in love with them, and that's how it happens. Boom, you get married. <laughs> how do we help people to experience God in a real way, that their objections can shrink, and they can come to a place of faith? 
hold that thought because I want to answer that at the end of the teaching. But first, I want you to understand that this is just one of the greatest enemies of belief, having all these intellectual arguments. That's one. Let me talk to you about the second thing we see in the movie that highlights an enemy to belief. It's this, pain and disappointment. Isn't it true that so many people come to a place of disbelief in God because of some pain and disappointment in their life? That was actually one of the characters in the movie. Now, here's what he looks like. He's the only other character besides Santa who's named in the movie. His name is Billy. He was Billy the the poor boy. And we don't know all the things that happened to him, but there are issues implied that have kept him from believing. He kept saying over and over in the movie, Christmas just doesn't work out for me. Christmas just doesn't work out for me. And so he struggled with belief. And maybe that's your story or the story of somebody you care about. You can't imagine that God would bring this amount of pain into your life if he was good. You can't believe that someone like that. Like, How do you connect that divorce or, or that abuse or the loss of that loved one? And so people struggle with this all the time. And listen, that is real stuff. That is real important stuff. Now, we don't have time to go into all the why does bad stuff happen in this world. We actually walk through a series on this at the end of the summer. If you'd like to check out our website for all the teachings that we do, you're always welcome to use your communication card to ask a question like this. And I'd love to have coffee with you and, and discuss. But can I just ask us to wrestle with one thing today that when it comes to pain and disappointment? Here's what I want you to contemplate. Why is it that some pain and disappointment in people's lives draw them further from God than anything else? And it's what causes them to not believe or to not follow. But yet, similar pain and disappointment in someone else's life causes them to be drawn to God like nothing before. It might have been the catalyst for them believing. How can both of these be true? Here's the answer. Pain doesn't draw you away from God unless you allow it. It doesn't draw you away unless unless you allow it to. And there's so many reasons why people have been drawn away from God from pain and disappointment. But could one reason be that we, the church, are not always there for people during their pain? One of the things that breaks my heart the most is when I hear people say, in the midst of my pain, people weren't there for me. The church wasn't there for me. Listen, we're not perfect. Even this past week, I had to apologize to somebody for not being there as they needed. But church, it should be one of our defining qualities. Because when God's people are there for people in the middle of their pain and disappointment, God moves. And that was the story of this young boy, Billy, in the movie. What caused him to finally step over the line of belief was other people surrounding him and helping him walk through some of the pain and disappointment in his life. And I just want to say to many of you here today, if you're struggling right now with any amount of pain or some sort of big issue in your life, I just want to remind you right now that being here together with other people in this context 
is exactly where you're supposed to be. And I know you have a lot of reasons why you shouldn't show up or why you should go at it alone, but being here with other followers of Jesus is exactly where you need to be. And maybe you're here today simply for God to remind you of that or for me to tell you that for the first time. But if you're going through pain and disappointment, can I just remind you of a few promises from God's scripture? James chapter 4, verse 8 says this, Come near to God, and he will come near to you. That's a promise. You might say, well, how do I come near God? Where is God that I can come near him? Well, listen to what Matthew chapter 18, verse 20 says, For where two or more are gathered in my name, there am I with them. Can I maybe phrase it in a different way? It's in the presence of God's people that you experience God's people. Peace, excuse me. I believe that with everything inside of me. That's why God's word continues to point us in the direction of community. And listen, this isn't something that happens just for people going through pain and disappointment. This principle applies to any objection of faith or from growing in your faith if you've stalled out. It's in the presence of God's people that people experience God's peace. And I got to thinking about this this past week, and I thought, for all the objections people have to belief, if only there was a place, like if only there was a place in the triad where God's people gathered regularly, where we could invite them to come experience God, because they were around the people of God. What am I talking about? I'm talking about the church and the church as it should be. Do you understand that in Scripture, the church is the bride of Christ? Jesus actually understood and taught that it was the hope of the world. This week, a friend asked me an interesting question. He said, how do you rectify asking people to invite versus asking them to simply share Christ with others? In other words, what do you do to make it not sound like we're just simply inviting for invitation's sake? And I thought about it, but I said to him, when the church is being the church the way Jesus asked us to be, why would I ever have a problem with simply inviting someone into it? So church, let's keep inviting people to come experience God through this community because the reality is that people are searching and people are hurting and many are not sure the church has an answer to offer. Now, at the end of this movie, there is this dramatic scene where the main character finally comes to a place of belief. And you understand, it wasn't because he finally saw Santa. It was because he stepped out in faith. And I thought about this. I was thinking, actually, about all the people who came to a place of belief in our church this past year. Can I just share two real fast? This is Ponce Esquivel. Everyone loves Ponce, right? I mean, he serves you donuts every week, right? But Ponce has been prayed for for 10 plus years by his family that he would come to a place of believing in Jesus. He was actually here at our church. Four plus years he's been here, interacting, serving, being a part of us. And it was through the people of Wendover Hills, interacting and searching what he knew about God, that he came to belief. And this is a changed life. The second person I want to tell you about is Stephanie Chi. I first met Stephanie when I was 
uh, going in for an x-ray on my right shoulder in the fall of 2012, I had started CrossFit, and I noticed she was wearing Reebok Nano shoes, which is like a shoe marketed to the CrossFit uh, cult. Um, I didn't talk to her much, but I came to learn that Jim Bethune, who worked in the same doctor's office, he had been praying for Stephanie for a long time. Now, go forward to 2016 when I went in for an x-ray on my left shoulder, and there again was Stephanie wearing her nanos. We had small talk and, and, and later actually ended up working out at the same gym together. Now, whereas Stephanie came to Windover Hills Church from invites from Jim and myself, it was the community she plugged into that led her to learn about God and to come to belief, shown in this baptism picture you're looking at. This is a changed life. This is what God does through the people of God when we make people far from God our main priority because it's in the presence of God's people that you experience God's peace. And for every child depicted in this movie, what really is the most important decision they made? They made a decision to get on the train. That's the most important decision they made. So my question for you and my challenge for you is in this week's takeaway. There's a couple questions. You just highlight the one that fits best for you. Number one, is it time for you to get on the train of belief? Is it time to step out in faith and trust God that he wants to meet you and to love you and to be your provision? Is it time today to say yes to following Jesus? Now, the second takeaway question is this. Who do you need to invite to get on the train? The primary place that God has given us where we can help people where they're at is the church. It's the gathering of believers together. And the reason this is so important today is because of something that lines up perfectly. It's our Christmas Eve service. It's tomorrow night at 6.15. And there's no easier time of the year to invite someone to come into the presence of God with God's people than at Christmas. Some of you are here today because of an invitation. We hope you've been blessed. I mean, listen, people are putting baby Jesuses all around their house and all around their yard. People are open so who have you invited to Christmas Eve? It's not too late to rearrange your schedule to make Christmas Eve service a priority. Or to call this afternoon and invite someone along with you. Do you remember the billboard I showed you from the American Atheist Association? Here's a more recent one. Go ahead. Skip church. Just be good for goodness sake. Happy holidays. Uh, let me just ask a question. Why not just say, hey, don't believe in God? Why such an emphasis on skipping church? Here's why. Because even the American Atheist Association understands that it's in the context of the people of God gathering together that most people come to a place of belief. So I just want to challenge you today for anyone in your life who may struggle with belief. It might even be you today. But for anyone in your life who struggles with belief for whatever reason, for you to be as bold as you can, to be inviting them into a place where just like Ponce and just like Stephanie, God can transform them forever. Be bold, and you watch what God does in someone else's life. Let's pray.